Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. Tonight, we have a very special episode planned for you because we have our special guest, James in Tricasa. Now, James, why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about what you do, who you are, and why you're on our show today. Yes, uh, my name is James Intercasso. Uh, I am a game designer in the tabletop role-playing game space, and I am one of the lead designers of the role-playing game Burn Bright, uh, which is Roll20's first original role-playing game built from the ground up for that virtual tabletop platform. Um, and that is why I'm here today, because we're going to be talking a lot about Burn Bright. And then, of course, we have Jurundu with us today. Yes, I'm uh, just here for... Um... Emotional support. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, been really looking forward to this one ever since we um, we played, which is something we, I guess, uh, we might talk about a little bit later on. Um, but that was uh, my introduction to Burn Bright, and what an introduction it was! It was an absolutely fabulous game. I'm very uh, pleased to be part of uh, playtesting it. So here on Dice Talk, one of the things that we like to do, in addition to talking about Dungeons & Dragons, which is usually a lot of our focus, we also like to highlight um, and kind of provide a spotlight for different tabletop role-playing games because different games have different things that they can bring to the table. And, you know, it's good to change things up every now and Mm -hmm. then. And then you'll play some games and they might end up being even better or more fun than you ever expected. Um, So today we are talking about a brand new tabletop role-playing game called Burn Bright. So James, can you tell them just a little bit about what Burn Bright is and actually tell them how recently it came out? It really is very new. Yes, yeah. So uh so before I get started on that, I do want to thank you both for for having me on, for your kind words about the system and for being amazing players uh when we all got to play together. So that was <laughs> super super fun and I really really appreciate um you taking the time to highlight different games uh like Burn Bright. Um it's so important uh in that aspect. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me on the show and for talking about this game and for playing this game with me. Um, absolute pleasure. Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, so yes, Burn Bright's very new, uh, came out this summer, um, in July, uh, the beginning of July. So, so very, very new still, although July does seem like it was 30 years ago because of the pandemic. Um, so we do have that going on right now. And uh, and Burn Bright is a science fantasy role playing game um, where you play super powered uh, what would be to us as humans aliens. There are no humans in the game. You play these aliens who have these weird superpowers based on their anatomy um, and you are in a universe that is shrinking. Uh, so there's this phenomenon called the burn that is slowly sort of eating the sides of the last galaxy in existence called Olaxis. You are aliens in this galaxy and there's about a thousand years left before the burn eats everything. Uh, the, when the burn touches a planet or a space station or a person, they disappear, never seen or heard from again, which means that like we're running out of planets. Uh, people are disappearing, possibly dying. Uh, we're running out of resources, uh, which causes land wars and uh, refugees crisis as people try to figure out where to go as their homes are destroyed uh, and the player characters uh, are trying to uh, help the 
people who are either directly or indirectly having troubles because of the burn. Um, and so that's sort of the central conceit of burn bright uh and like i said it was built from the ground up for roll 20 um so we've tried to incorporate a lot of mechanics that uh allow people to take advantage of what roll 20 has to offer but also it is a game that you could and many people have played physically at a table so it doesn't require roll 20 it's optimized for roll 20 um but roll 20 is the publisher of the game so like it does require a roll 20 account in the sense that to buy and read the game you need to uh have purchased roll uh you need to have a roll 20 account you don't need to have a paid account but you buy the game through roll 20 <laughs> well done <laughs> Come up for you can come up for air for a little bit. <laughs> uh. Uh, so, but the I think one of the things too that uh, that is really exciting, and people know maybe know this because they've listened to us uh, play or they've seen us play on on the YouTube's or the Twitch, um, mm-hmm. is that uh, Burn Bright has an adventure that is coming out um, as of our recording of this this coming weekend i don't know when this will air but uh odds are uh, it's all it's currently available while you're listening to this um and uh and that adventure is called trapped at the edge and it is available for free it's a two-hour module um it comes with quick start rules and pre-gens everything you need to play a game of burn bright so if people want to try burn bright for free they can check out trapped at the edge or they can check out our lovely actual play where we play trapped at the edge uh and uh, and see how it goes so um that's something that people have asked for uh because they wanted a way to like check out the game before they invested which i totally get right like you get that experience at a bookstore um or your friend lets you borrow a book or something like that that's much harder to do when everything's in the roll 20 platform so we needed to have a way that people could check out the game for free and so that's where that adventure we play tested came from that's awesome, and that's just and a, what an adventure it was. And that's just available in the Roll Twenty Marketplace. Yep, yeah, available in the Roll Twenty Marketplace. Um, if you uh, search for Burn Bright or Trapped at the Edge, and Burn Bright is spelled B R Y T E, uh, we can get into why if people want to know why. Um, but uh, uh, or Trapped at the Edge, you will find it. It will pop right up, and all you need to do is click uh purchase and it's free so you don't have to input any credit card information or anything like that and uh, it'll be part of your account forever then on roll 20 that's awesome and for those of you that might not know some of our listeners roll 20 is roll20.net and you can go on that website and it's a really great online interface um even the basic free version is amazing uh, you can run all sorts of different tabletop games, board games. They have different games and game system rules built into the Roll20 itself so that you can run different games with built-in character sheets, apply maps on the fly, built-in dice rolls. I mean, there are so many functions I can and most likely will do a whole episode on it eventually. But for all of you out there, go to, yeah, go to Roll20.net because you're going to type in Burn Bright and then you can see what he's talking about. And like you just said, James, as of this recording, now there is a free version where you can go and kind of test out the game and make sure you like it before making that big purchase that's right yeah yeah and then there's even you can even do it incrementally like there's a 
another starter adventure that we released when uh, back in July when the game released. That's only ten bucks. Uh, it's a little bit longer than Trapped at the Edge and a little bit more robust. So, like, if you want to do it in increments, uh, you can go from nothing to ten dollars and then buy the core rules for uh, I think it's thirty thirty bucks. Uh, for the core rules might be 40 bucks now i'll need to check that but yeah so um so yeah so there's there's a lot of great things you can do to check out and you really can use as much or as little like i think roll 20 is intimidating to some people because it has so many bells and whistles um but i i always tell people use as much or as little as you want and like incorporate pieces of it one at a time if you want to try them out if you're fine just using it to roll dice and store character sheets great right um if you want to use the battle maps uh don't feel like you need to learn everything about roll 20 first you know start drawing things out the same way you would on a battle map in front of you and then incorporate using images and stuff like that um take it slow uh you've got a whole campaign to figure it out well i just to go on a brief tangent with roll 20 i've sort of had my baptism of fire with the uh Murderous Bloodsport Association um, <laughs> stream that we started. Um, that was my first go around DMing, um, and well, not ever, but first go around DMing on Roll Twenty, um, and that was an experience. Uh, <laughs> but um, it was surprisingly intuitive, uh, scary, scarier than uh, it looks, scarier than it is. Uh, definitely Roll Twenty. Yeah, as you say, it's. Um, a great system uh, to use. There's so much thing, so many things you can do. Well, it's not only is it great for online games, which with everything going on have become more and more common. But mm. it's, I mean, I use it for my at-home games. I put a TV screen on the table that I have in a box. I open a new tab, put one to player view, one to GM view on my laptop, and I put the figurines right on top of the maps, right there at the table. So I'm using Roll Twenty even even when I'm just with my friends at home. Nice, that's, that's awesome. A good idea. <laughs> so and and for me you know they light something on fire you can go to a little search button type in fire there's purchased um options there's free options you can upload your own images and i just drag that little fire onto the map and i mean any sort of effect you need so just if you haven't checked out roll 20 go to roll20.net for sure and that's where you're going to find everything you need for burn bright absolutely absolutely yeah yeah so that you know and that's uh one of the things that we really wanted to do right uh, uh roll 20 was initially designed for fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons, uh, which I know mm. immediately turns people off as soon as you mention 4E. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, one, I'm, I'm personally, I, I like fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons, um, which I think is a common trait among game designers um, because there was a lot unexpected about it. Uh, but two, uh, the reason I bring that up is because fourth edition D&D really relied on maps and minis, right? And so mm -hmm. we wanted to take full advantage advantage of that with burn bright uh, but at the same time we also wanted to have a very flexible system that allowed you to improv uh on the fly decide what your character was going to do how they were going to solve problems how they were going to uh get involved in combat and that sort of thing so it's uh, burn bright is very much a high action system um you know there's there's a lot of things that can happen there's a lot of things that can go wrong that uh that you can play out on a map um, and have fun things occur like fires um, and, uh, and, you know, loss of oxygen on a spaceship or that sort of thing. So a big part of burn bright is, uh, is using the map 
both in and out of combat, right? Um, I think 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons was very combat heavy. Uh, Burn Bright does not need to be very hot combat heavy, um, but uh, it does help if you're even when you're, you know, moving around exploring a place to just have a map there for people to see and, and check out. I mean, I've, I completely agree. I've, I tend to play pretty fast and loose in my home games mm-hmm. um, and don't really bother with maps and things like that. But it does make it infinitely easier, especially when you're trying to communicate with people who maybe don't have exactly the same sort of frame of reference as you, like things like distance and scale. Uh, and they're just it's so much easier to sort of reference that if you've got a um an artifact that you can move around and sort of manipulate and and roll 20 does give you those tools um to use especially uh of course if we're all playing in our living rooms uh hundreds of miles apart <laughs> it's uh it's, it's certainly uh, a social lubricant i think roll 20 totally and it's also um you know if you're playing a game like dungeons and dragons or uh, a game like monster of the week right um everybody mm. kind of understands what an orc is we know how tall it is we know how big it is we know what it looks like um if we're playing monster of the week and you're fighting a vampire we uh, we all have an idea of what a vampire might be maybe it's sparkly maybe it's more dracula but but there's that sort of of thing burn bright is a lot of creatures that are distinct and part of burn bright right and they Absolutely. might they certainly have uh uh characteristics of other creatures but that's another reason why it helps to have the visual aspect of roll 20 right it's like mm-hmm. your players probably know at this point what a beholder is and what it looks like and what it does but if i start to you know talk about a uh a Rornin, or a blip, which is one of the creatures that you can encounter in Burn Bright, um, you would not know what that is. And so it helps to be able to have art that I can immediately put down on the table and, and show everybody like that. Absolutely. One of my favorite things, so I, since you have ran Burn Bright for us a few weeks ago, I have run Burn Bright as a one-shot one time for a group of my friends as well. Oh, uh, awesome. And in doing so, I discovered the little built-in character sheet for creating different creatures that might be found throughout the galaxy as NPC enemies, or not necessarily enemies if you don't want, but animals. I thought that was very cool how it, it's not only like here is a list of different creatures you can use, but here are very easy to follow rules for mm. creating your own alien creature since it is this vast galaxy where all sorts of, you know, your mind's the limit, anything you come up with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's right. We have sort of like a, a basic template for like animals um, that then you can apply things for. We actually have that for robots, too, um, because oh, like wow, cool. you might build a robot that's meant to do construction or you might build a robot that's meant to do X, Y or Z. And what's important was, right, we released with the core rules um the a bunch of monsters right mm-hmm. so so for people familiar with D, there are three core rule books for burn bright there's one that combines your dungeon master's guide your monster manual and your player's handbook kind of all in one which means we have a slim down bestiary that comes with the core rules so we needed to make things that were kind of versatile especially because you could go to lots of different planets and there would be lots of different things on those places uh so that is uh that's a big thing and i actually took that idea from there's a role-playing game called shadow of the demon lord um that uh similarly that's like a 
dark medieval fantasy mm-hmm. game i would say <laughs> very uh very violent sort of like evil dead sure. uh, kind of over the top and comedic um Groovy. but uh they do animals that way too right uh they said like you know maybe here's here's some ways we could do animals here's some ways you can build a generic monster and that kind of thing um so uh so yeah so that was one of the things we wanted to do there will be uh, very soon to be announced a monster book it's been written uh, it's been playtested. Monsters should be coming out soon. Uh, that it's going to like expand the bestiary in a big bad way for Burn Bright. So more monsters, more weird stuff should be cool. Hooray! That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every everything that I've heard about it and my experiences with it have all been extre- overwhelmingly positive. So um, well done. <laughs> basically thank you yeah, no you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome uh yeah it's been it has been a blast like a ton a ton of fun uh working on everything um for for burn bright and the team is really good so so i have to shout out the design team of cat cool and darcy ross and jim mcclure who all worked with me on this um and also the roll 20 staff who who sort of worked tirelessly on this and a billion other artists and play testers and this would not be nearly what it is without that um you know and a big part of this uh, a big part of what i think makes burn bright special and and maybe this goes without saying because i'm a game designer and i designed them right are the game mechanics i mm-hmm. think are really good and i'm very proud of what the team came up with um for that because uh it's uh it's a little bit of a press your luck mechanic um and uh and it leads to situations that we often see in some of our favorite science fantasy sort of um films right so like we were thinking about star wars and guardians of the galaxy uh thor um gundam wing uh things like that uh that uh really all, all your disney properties and gundam wing um <laughs> so uh so that really get people pumped and and excited when you're watching things like um you know star wars they're in the Death Star and they save Princess Leia, but then a bunch of stormtroopers show up, but then they get away, but then the trash compactor goes off, but then they escape the trash compactor. You know, like that sort of back and forth that we see in high action science fantasy was something we really wanted to capture. And I think we did that with the mechanics. My hope is is that we did that with the mechanics. <laughs> I mean, I certainly I certainly felt like, not to, to give anything away, but from when we were playing, um, I was a... Uh, a sort of like space jellyfish with a power with a magic crystal mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. yes the glean yes <laughs> and, and being um i remember vividly remember um slapping a ruffian with my many tentacles and being pressed pressed <laughs> unwillingly into violence it was um um great to sort of end up doing things you because you're encouraged to sort of do things that um aren't within your sort of wheelhouse as your character um in order to sort of get bonuses basically so as a uh, being encouraged to sort of get into fisticuffs as as a a delicate um pacifistic sort of uh, tender uh, jellyfish person was um hilarious and sort of get made me feel a bit sort of like a you know like a slapstick scene um <laughs> in the middle of this sort of sort of screwball antics in the middle of this um uh deadly firefight um uh, it was <laughs> a lot of fun to sort of be pushed to do things um 
outside of what you, the, the conventional limitations of your character would be. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that uh, you you felt that way, right? You felt that sort of cinematic feel um, because that's really, really what we're going for is we want you to feel heroic um, and we want you to uh, we want you to do things that are outside of your character's wheelhouse like that while also doing lots of things in your character's wheelhouse. And then we the, the other design goal for Burnbright was like, can we make failure exciting can we make when you fail a skill check that you feel something other than disappointed and uh, i think you know i i think we did a pretty good job there i think certainly people still feel maybe a negative emotion but it is a much like sort of negative emotion mm-hmm. rather than like a no that was anticlimactic um and and we can you can see it in our game that when we were playing our game, um, you all were great players, uh, that when someone failed the skill roll, like everyone was invested and reacted in a, in a big, great way. And that was really fun because when you fail in Burn Bright, you don't just fail, you make things worse, right? Um, right. So that's the uh, big important thing. And that's what makes Burn Bright so amazing is it's so different. It's so alien. <laughs> it's so fresh and new. And it, it really is unlike anything i've ever seen or anything i've ever played the mechanics the way you do skill checks i assume you made that up i have played a lot of games and a lot of tabletop role-playing games i've never seen anything like that with that specific determination Mm. on how you succeed or fail the creatures themselves that you have the options to playing as the to play like you said there are no humans everything is an alien i want our listeners to understand you're they're not humanoid either necessarily (laughs) you are you like he said, he played a jellyfish creature who has like some sort of crystal that allows him to, what, to, to float and do various bits and pieces. Yeah, there's a there's a, a playable character that is one hundred thousand bugs that are formed into a hive mind. There is a crystal creature. There's there's all sorts of awesome things, and it's like it truly is just so amazing because it is so different. Mm. Um, but it's similar enough to where you get you hit all those little points that you love about tabletop role playing games. You still get the same uh, enjoyment, like the the same parts of your mind are activated while playing this game. But it's in a fresh new way, and it's in this it's in space, and it's in this new universe with these creatures that you've never heard of because they're also brand mm. new. And that was amazing. Um, and like you said, the mechanics they really do give you this feeling of you know you like are really playing true to your character because you mentioned that you're forced to do some to use some skills that maybe you're not the best at can you maybe explain to our listeners what that means sure yeah so burn bright's a a skill-based game similar to like fate right where you don't have overall attributes you have a bunch of skills you have 18 um and some of the skills you are really good with and you have a d12 in those skills some of the skills you are not so good with and you have a d4 in those skills and then you have in between skills that you have a d8 a d6 or d10 depending on where you are right um and so when you make a skill roll you uh, take the die 
that is associated with your skill. So if your athletics is a D8, right, you grab some D8s, and then you roll a number of dice equal to the skill's complexity, right? Um, and uh, the higher the higher this uh, problem's complexity, the harder it is to solve. So you want to jump across a chasm. Uh, if it's not that big a chasm, right, it's not that wide, maybe it's complexity 2, and you roll 2D8. If it's a real wide chasm, you might 4, 5, maybe a bunch. And so you roll those dice and if you get no doubles you succeed right the idea is we assume you're competent heroes and so we're rolling to see if you fail not to see if you succeed right because we assume you succeed um and so you you roll that up if there's no doubles boom that's great you can move on uh roll 20 makes it very easy for you to do that because they will in a pop-up window automatically tell you if you passed or failed um and they'll add you know there are you, your character could have a condition that could affect the complexity of the skill roll you're making and that kind of thing and all of that gets automatically factored in yay roll 20 um but you could do all of that at the table It'd be very uh you know simple to to kind of track that um but so the idea is um the players justify to the gm the skill they want to use uh and that means maybe crossing the chasm you say uh, actually i'd like to use my uh, engineering skill because i think i know exactly where i could uh, kick off the wall of the cave next to the chasm and cross to the other side or i'd like to use uh my melee skill to smash my sonic caber on the ground and ride the sound waves across very cool but the issue with that right is that well then why not just always justify your best skill right and and n nothing else and so we came up with this idea of nova points um which uh, you spend Nova points to activate your character's superpowers, right? The things that they can really do that are really powerful. Uh, and to get a Nova point, you have to attempt a skill roll of one uh, of every die size, right? So you have to use a D4 skill, a D6 skill, a D8, a D10, D12. Um, and so that encourages you to go use your D4 and D6 skills and not just focus on your D10 and D12 skills. Um, and so that's the idea behind that is like, you want to generate Nova points so that you can use your awesome thing and be in the spotlight. Um, and, uh, and to do that, you're going to have to use some skills you're not necessarily great at, which is how you end up, uh, in a tentacle slap fight with a ghost pirate. <laughs> Absolutely. And there are not very many worse situations to be in, I will, uh, freely admit. <laughs> Having been in one last week, uh, for realsies, I can attest to that fact. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Rough neighborhood. Oh boy! Oh boy! That is a story and a half. You got into a slap fight. That's it with a uh, with a ghost pirate. With a ghost pirate. Whew. Got to stop living in that abandoned shipwreck. It's, well, that's uh... it. <laughs> I do love me some booty. That's the problem. When I was running um, the only Burn Bright game that I've ever GM'd before the other just a week ago, as as of this recording, I found it helpful to. When I was asking them to make skill checks, um, they almost felt limited in how much freedom they had mm -hmm. because they can choose anything. So uh, just to kind of get them into it, I kind of would say, hey, how would you like to solve this? Make a 
mental check for me. Right. And they got to choose which check to make, but within the category of mental, because you have physical, mental, and then what was the other one? Social. Is your and other social. One. So I would tell them, okay, how would you like to get through this situation? Tell me which social skill you would like to use. And so that was, you know, I was kind of, I guess, making my own little rule there, but I, it wasn't really a rule. It was just because at first when I'm trying to introduce this game to them, yeah, like there's so many options they they didn't really know yeah. how to approach it so i so i kind of told them like you know trying to to push them into it slowly but as we got throughout the game they started really coming up with creative ways to apply some of the other skills from other categories to solve a certain situation that i didn't expect so one of the things i really love about your game or, or about the burn bright in general is that they do get to choose any skill to use as long as they can explain to you why it makes sense. And, you know, as most DMs and most GMs under know, it's the rule cool. And if they come up with a pretty good idea, unless it's just absolutely doesn't make sense at all, usually you let them go with it. But at first I was trying to limit them, but I found as I was playing that big, having so much freedom, that's like an amazing model to have in a game because it really you're not here to be a, a rules lawyer. You're here to just have some fun with your friends and, and play as another character for a few hours and tell a story. So I thought that was very cool. Yeah, and that's a great tactic to to take with players who have played a lot of other RPGs, um, which have the, you know, the very great model of you describe what you do and the GM tells you this is the skill role you're making. And right, like that is also a, a good model. Um, and so I think when people are used to that, you do need to have some way in. And that's I'm going to steal that. Uh, that is like a great way to uh, to ease people into the idea of like, hey, you know, which is this? I usually try to throw out a couple of different skills of like, you want to uh, jump across a pit. Well, your social skills are not going to help you here, right? Um, because you can't smooth talk this pit into becoming narrower for you. Uh, but uh, but that, you know, that's a great way to go is to say like, look at these skills that you have in your mental mm. category. That'll probably help you out. I also really like the idea, you know, that as we were talking about earlier, um, that it's just assumed that you succeed as a competent hero. Um, and therefore, you know, we're rolling to see whether you fail. I think the idea, some, some players maybe, you know, have this idea that failure is inherently bad. Um, <laughs> but failing in a role-playing game just makes it more interesting, I think. I think it pre you present failures more as an opportunity to drive the narrative in an, a new and perhaps unforeseen uh, direction. Um, I remember when we were playing, I think I got my medikit knocked out of my hands and then had an mm -hmm. Indiana Jones moment to sort of grab it back as it was teetering on the brink of uh, being dissolved or, or whatever. But, you know, that could be a, a tremendous could have been a tremendous setback that i could have got pouty about but instead it just sort of added another dramatic note to an encounter um mm -hmm. i sort of think that's a good a good thing to motivate players to sort of feel that failure is something that just makes the encounter more interesting rather than is just brings the game to a grinding halt and stops it being fun yeah, definitely. And it's one of the things that uh, in, in high action scenes like combat, um, you can take as many actions as you want on your turn until you mm -hmm. fail and they get progressively harder. So it's yes. like, well, am I going to do this? <laughs> uh, but I think that also helps because, hey, if you need to use one of your actions to then go pick up your med kit that you dropped, um, 
but then you've still got actions left that you can attack or uh, mm-hmm. save your friend or whatever it is um, that I think helps a lot because it doesn't feel like you're being punished twice, Absolutely. right? It doesn't feel like, well, now I'm being punished and I'm going to lose my turn uh, because I have to recover from this thing. It's like, no, you can recover from that and keep going if you want to. Yeah. And you've got a direct representation of what the stakes are by the number of dice that you roll uh, or the size of your uh, dice pool uh, at any given time. That's so, right. Um, yeah, it's a really intuitive system to 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 play with. And again, it, it encourages you to play in ways that other games perhaps don't um, or maybe don't traditionally uh, mm-hmm. feel that way. So yeah, bravo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The whole whole team worked really hard on that. So thanks. <laughs> and that's another really novel and interesting part about Burnbright that really makes it stand out amongst other tabletop role playing games that kind of uh that kind of like push your luck, have multiple actions per mm. turn idea is something again that I haven't seen before. Um, and I'm a huge, I'm a huge nerd. I have a, a tabletop role playing game podcast, and um, <laughs> and so like I like that idea that you know you you can continue to do actions on your turn as long as mm-hmm. you keep succeeding, but every time you try, it will get more difficult, and the the consequences of failure probably will become more mm-hmm. severe. Um, and I just think that's really cool. And then if you're one of the people that doesn't want to push it every time. Some abilities are activated by ending your turn with a success, with no failures. So there's like benefits to trying a a thing that probably will fail. There's also benefits to just kind of taking it, playing it safe for a second and kind of saying, okay, we've succeeded this far. Let's just go ahead and not push our luck any further. Definitely, definitely. And a big thing, right, is collaborating with your, uh, your fellow players because, and you can say like, okay, Uh, this is the one thing we need to do you go first because you've got the best chance of doing it but if you fail then i'll go and i'll try right like you can sort of coordinate your actions that way and you're encouraged to uh to do that because um i think that that is a thing people do anyway sure (laughs) Um, yeah absolutely and and so building that into the rules i think makes it fun and makes it something that feels good when the game says we want you to do this um sometimes that's all it takes to make it turn it from like this feels good to like this feels like it's slowing down play absolutely absolutely and with that i think we're going to take a a short break to have a, a word from our sponsors and we'll be back in a few moments to conclude the interview This episode of Dice Talk is brought to you by ShadowMarketPins.com. The Shadow Market is an awesome website where you can buy high-quality, custom-made, hard enamel pins that you cannot find anywhere else. The Shadow Market focuses on pins and stickers that often put a twist on popular characters and geek figures such as superheroes, monsters, aliens, anime characters, and other pop culture icons. The Shadow Market also has options for character commissions for Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. The Shadow Market even offers a monthly subscription box where you can receive the newest custom pins every month for an extremely affordable price. These custom pins are limited edition, and they often sell out very quickly. So make sure that you go to ShadowMarketPins.com and check out this month's pins before it's too late. Once again... That is shadowmarketpins.com. Check it out 
and enter the shadows today. In a world where adventure awaits and danger lurks around every corner, an unlikely group of friends find themselves on the path to becoming heroes. But school will only get them halfway. Merlin, the human warlock barber guy. Oh god, no, I gotta buff his butt! No! Can I refuse business? Ubo, the turtle artificer. Well, it doesn't work yet, but uh, I'm working on it. Ultrex, the discarded warforged paladin. I don't eat or sleep or wear clothes, so I just sit in the corner and wait. And Clyde, the Goliath barbarian in skinny jeans. They're called skinny pelts, okay? Find us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching for Halfway to Heroes. And we are back. So before the break, we were talking about Burn Bright, of course, but we were really specifically talking about just how the different mechanics and the ways that the game is played is just so different from a lot of tabletop role-playing games that are currently popular at the moment. Mm. Um, and one of the things that's, that we were talking about was that you get multiple chances to take multiple actions per turn as long as you don't fail. But if you do fail, it creates consequences. So as the DM, you're really just responding to the players um if they succeed or fail you don't actually roll as much as you might in some other tabletop games but that doesn't mean that you're not telling a great story and one of the things i noticed because james when you ran the game for drundu and i and a few of the other people from majestic goose i noticed that when one of us failed you didn't necessarily punish me for failing you punished someone else in the group or you punished (laughs) all of us or you did something that causes someone else in the party to do something about it it's not my problem it's our problem and i thought that was really cool because so many games are just like you messed up your attack missed or you messed up your weapon breaks but to change the story for the mechanics as written to be yes the story gets more intense like bad things are happening to everyone in the party that was another thing that just was like really cool about burn bright Thanks. Yeah. And that's one of the uh, and I think we're all learning this. One of the challenges of online play and online play with, uh, you know, a tabletop like Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or whatever your your VTT of choices is that the Internet is right there. Right. Like Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, the Rocket League. It's all one click away from you to do anything like that. And so uh, in a combat situation where everybody's going around and taking their turn, um, it can be very tempting to think like, well, I'm just going to pop over and check Twitter or, well, I'm just going to do this. Um, And so having a mechanic that affects everyone on every person's turn with every single die roll helps keep everybody invested in the story and also uh, helps keep everyone having fun with the story right like it's very easy to say everybody should pay attention to this because that's polite or that's what our house rule is whatever it is but you want to uh encourage people right that's the whole point of the game design is for people to have fun and if they're clicking over to something else it's because they're not having a ton of fun right and so like that was one way to draw people in and like hey i'm having fun watching you take your turn um because there's suspense there and now i want to know like are you going to accidentally hit me with your laser sword um and uh and so that's that's part of the fun now thank you i'm glad you noticed that (laughs) when 
so Adam, who runs One Shot Onslaught and is the head of the whole Majestic Goose Network, when he told us that you would be running Burn Bright for us, I immediately had to go, what's Burn Bright? I've never heard of that because it's so new. So I looked into it and then I found, <laughs> okay, I have to go online and buy this game to learn anything about it. But like you said, now there are these quick play rules available. So you can just make sure it's something you're interested in before, you know, making that decision to pay. Well, I was instantly, uh, you know, invested. I thought it was awesome. So I'm like reading through the rules, trying to get an idea of how this game is going to work. And that's when I noticed that there's all these rules for ships and there was uh, parts for ships and there were different maps that you can use so that you can do battles in space and stuff. I mean, after all, it is a sci-fi tabletop game. So do you think maybe you can take a moment and tell our listeners a little bit about the ships and about um, all the space combat and all that cool kind of stuff? Again, right, playing to the strengths of Roll20, uh, maps are a big strength of Roll20. And so spaceship combat uh, takes place on your spaceship map. So you have a big map of your spaceship, um, you know, inside. You get to build it with your fellow player characters. If you're playing like a long-term campaign, you decide where do we put the laser cannons and the pilot chair and our healing bay and the other parts of the ship that we want to buy. And so you get to sort of put that all around your spaceship. Um, And then during spaceship combat, you run around your spaceship doing things, right? You might be uh, literally putting out fires, um, patching holes that appear, uh, uh, jumping in and out of the pilot's chair, jumping in and out of laser cannon chairs to fire things, um, uh, running around to interact with the ship. The ship has a magical intelligence that fuels it, um, which is like this, you know, it's like artificial intelligence, but it's uh, magically... Uh, summoned through a ritual and bound to your ship. Um, they're like a character. Uh, and and then around your ship, there are all these different zones and your enemy tokens, uh, your enemy ships are in all of these tokens. So when you move the ship, we just move the tokens around you, right? So your ship is at the center of the map. You're running around inside of your ship in that map. And then around your ship, there are all these enemy starfighters and stuff that are moving. Um, And so that's how that works. And a big, big reason for that is that I've played a lot of science fiction games where there's like the pilot character, right? And for two and a half sessions, the pilot character does nothing. And then for the final half of that third session, everybody else does nothing while the pilot character gets to do their thing. Right. And they're moving the ship and shooting guns and that kind of thing. So we wanted it like, Hey, ship combat should be exciting. Everybody should have a chance to do everything. Pilot the ship, uh, you know, heal the ship, use laser cannon, stuff like that. And, uh, and so that is the idea behind ship combat. It's got the same mechanics as normal combat for the most part, just with a a couple extra things layered on top. It was fun. And I think, the ability, as you say, with Roll20 to just switch between maps, like, on the fly. If you wanted to have, I don't know, your party teleport, beam back up to the ship or whatever, you can just flick between two different maps, uh, like, instantly, and uh, not have to, like, worry about, you know, setting up anything else. Yeah. <laughs> as it, you made a point that um, just reminded me again of a, a couple of moments that, in our game. Um the ship being its own uh, being a character in its own right and having its own personality um uh, just the amount of moments you that that can you can 
sort of get from that as the the ship as an NPC, you know, interacting with the party. Um, it's nice to sort of have a a new avenue to be sort of non-antagonistic to, or well, potentially non-antagonistic sure. to your players. Um, although having skill checks go wrong involving the ship and hurting it. (laughs) 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 It happens. It happens. um, If you've got a, if you've got a very understanding uh, person running the game, just cry in the corner and you'll get a cupcake. That's that's my advice for dealing with the, uh, (laughs) with the ship. (laughs) That's in the rules, actually. That's in the rules. Yeah. The ships are really cool because you don't, it's not even like you only have one basic ship. There are multiple different styles of ships that are good or bad in different ways. But then on top of that, you can customize each individual ship, which it's like an extra little rule that you can add if you need it. And the cool thing is, like, you can make a basic ship and have these more simplified rules and everyone's going to have fun. But if they want to step it up to the next level, there I noticed that there were different ways you can customize your ship. The people in the game can be working towards... Uh, you know improving their ship buying new parts for it adding more guns or taking away guns to make it more comfortable because earlier you mentioned nova points and one of the things like you have a livability rating on your ship and the you know based on the based on your livability rating you can have a certain number of nova points and there was different benefits to it well if you live on a ship that's nothing but guns it's not going to be a very comfortable place to live so i like how there's that balance and i like how there's these options where you can make your ship more complex and you as the player has a stake in the universe because you can customize your ship you are changing your ship it's not just like here's a ship this is what you're stuck with i hope you like it they can change it yeah yeah exactly and actually that's the next thing that's coming out uh with that monster supplement uh it's a ship and monster supplement so there will be new player ship maps um uh there's three with the core rules we're putting out another six in this product um and uh and new uh npc ships uh that you can fight or ally with um and that sort of thing so there's going to be a lot of new ships uh in that coming out and uh and i do i do want to say because we've been talking about combat a lot there really is there's a lot of uh burn bright games that have little to no combat in them because we did put mechanics in there to help you get around that um in fact if you listen to autonomic uh, that is a podcast that uses the Burn Bright engine. It doesn't take place in the Burn Bright universe, but Cat Cool, who helped design the game, um, made this podcast that is nonviolent. It's meant for kids, actually, to listen to. It's an actual play for kids. Um, uh, and uh, and they don't have any combat, and they use the Burn Bright system, and it works great. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can solve problems, and that's what we wanted in this game. If your group wants to kick down the door and uh, and go in guns blazing, great. Uh, if your group wants to try to uh, smooth talk their way through everything, you've got that too. If you want to stealth through every situation, good luck. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully there's there's different things you can try. I think the the character sheets, if you were to look at them, would bear that out, that there's lots of different ways of solving problems. I mean, we've mainly talked about the crunchier aspects of the game uh, in the last sort of little segment as, well, I say crunchy in uh, a very limited sense, uh, like a, maybe like a cereal bar, you know, not you're not going to break your teeth, not that crunchy. Um, 
to over, painfully overextend a metaphor there. Uh, but yeah, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's you know it's a it's a pretty intuitive system to pick up. You got a, the the we we could easily have gone on a diplomatic mission to seek out new life and new civilizations if we if we had so chosen um within the within the framework of the rules that would be entirely possible and extremely funny and rewarding i feel <laughs> um so most death <laughs> one of the things that that stood out to me is obviously the overall story so because you're playing in a whole new universe you, there is this whole new uh, story to grasp and the overall story is the burn itself where there's some sort of unknown force slowly uh as far as i can tell disintegrating all these planets around them and closing in mm. on them um and it's really cool because you said like there's a hopeful universe so people even though this thing is happening there there are people that are looking for ways to stop it uh there's enough time left to where you can make a difference and that right there is like a great jumping off point for any sort of campaign you kind of set the scene like earlier i was talking about how the people i ran the game for felt limited and how much freedom they have by providing the burn it it gives you somewhere to start so you can it's great to to, i know there is one campaign that already came out with the game especially if you buy the bundle on roll 20 and then you mentioned there's a, a new small campaign that that comes with the quick rules but if you're going to make your own campaign which i'm sure eventually you will um having the burn is like a starting point is really cool because it does kind of give you a place to start and you can start coming up with campaigns that maybe it's something epic like they are going to find a way to stop the burn or maybe it's just something smaller where like we can't control the world collapsing around us so or the universe collapsing around us so we can you know, focus on these these smaller missions and you can kind of go, like you said, towards that slice of life type deal where you're not you're not these epic heroes involved in combat. Maybe you can just do something fun that there is zero combat or maybe you are these epic heroes who will save the universe from the burn. Uh, you you like set the stage for for people to come up with some really creative, really interesting um, and just really like. I don't know, just these campaigns that are are you're not going to find them when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing I feel like you you can sort of thrash out in a session zero, the kind of direction you'd want to take a campaign in, based on what the players would do to tackle the burn as a as a concept. You know, um, yeah. There's a um there's a mechanic that we don't we didn't play with too much in our one shot because it's not uh if you're using a campaign or a multiple session right mm-hmm. um there's this uh this mechanic called story paths where you pick for your character a story path which is a five event story arc um and you go through it and that is a good tool for the gm to look at and say okay these are the kinds of stories that my players want to tell and so like they have really broad terms um revenge is one uh love is another um create masterpiece is another right and those are all very different stories one is about creating a work of art one is about falling in love and one is about uh you know going on a murderous rampage the punisher style uh and and so and they're very broad so they don't have to fit into one box so revenge i think does bring into mind right the count of monte cristo the punisher that kind of thing but it could be like i want to take revenge on the mom at the pta space bake sale 
for making better cookies than I did, right? And she embarrassed me in front of everybody, and now vengeance will be mine, right? So so they're broad like that, and depending on how the story goes, um, maybe you decide not to take revenge at, at the last moment. You get different abilities, and that's how character advancement works. Instead of experience points, you achieve events on this path, and every time you achieve an event, you get to, like, increase one of your skills, or you get a new ability, or that kind of thing. Um, mm. And so that is a great way to sit down with your players at session zero. People pick their story paths, say, okay, cool. This is what we're going to do. And when you finish one, you start a new story path. That's how it works. Um, so, you know, like, uh, your love story path, uh, if you end up, uh, breaking up with that person maybe that leads into your revenge story path and then after you have revenge you have the cathartic release of uh creating a masterpiece or maybe you keep taking revenge and you take the revenge story path over and over and over again so there's a lot of different ways you can you can do it i need to adopt this for my home games with my friends because they're from what i term the larry david school of role playing <laughs> where they just <laughs> bumble around offending people <laughs> and getting into scrapes and i like to sort of encourage them to um, have these sort of like individual sort of petty jealousies and get, get bogged down with npcs and things like that so the idea of um, encouraging a you know someone's character act to be getting petty revenge on someone from the, the local bake sale uh which is entirely within keeping for um my home game and friends so <laughs> i'm definitely gonna have to steal that that's uh, fantastic i love that that's so great <laughs> yeah yeah the story paths mechanic is is honestly pretty genius because so often people will make their character for uh, any sort of tabletop role-playing game and they come up with this backstory and explain to you who this person is and why they're here and why they are the way they are but then as soon as you tell them what the campaign is, they seem to abandon that completely and just jump on board with whatever the campaign, whatever they feel like they need to be doing. But with these individual story paths, you can pay attention to the main campaign, but also still focus on your character. You can still develop. Like, why did you say you're, you know, you're like, you know, if you're a soldier, it's all about honor and, and bettering themselves. Why did you suddenly abandon that when you're just trying to, like, help out this group? to you know free some village or something you never like think of that again mm. with story paths your your character is growing your your backstory is not a backstory it's your history it's who you are and history is ever changing and you're constantly like allowing your character to grow um and i just think that's cool because mm. it gives you an option as well as a reminder that like you know you are your individual character so that person still gets to grow and change and develop throughout the story um, rather than just you came up with the background of character creation and then just completely forgot about it. Yeah, it's striking that balance between the role-playing and the gaming. <laughs> exactly, you know, bridging, exactly. Bridging that gap. And that's the way you improve your your stats. So it's it's kind of, in a way, like replacing the leveling up system. When you achieve these different goals in your story path, you're able to improve different skills and things like that. So I, you know, I thought that was another thing that was really cool. And then let's just say you have a player that's power gaming a little bit and they're like just purposely like in kind of a cheap way accomplishing these goals again and again and again and again. We'll put a limit on that once per session, every other session. You're the you're the game master. You let them know when they get to improve their skill when you feel like they've achieved that story path 
Um, if they're doing it a little cheaply, you know, maybe that's not exactly what they meant by, you know, going through some personal growth or whatever their, their story path might be. But that's another thing that I'm glad you brought up because I, that is also something I've never seen in any other tabletop role-playing game. Mm. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. That, that was a big idea from, uh, Kat and Darcy. Uh, and I think it's inspired by, uh, Monty Cook games. Invisible sun has something sort of like story paths that, um, Darcy was like, I want to take this, but I would rather do it this way for this game. And so that's how it, uh, that's how it came to be. Yeah. yeah that's fun. A little, little self-contained acts in, uh, your character's life yeah yeah so it's a lot of fun i i uh uh really loved working on burn bright it, it was three years um of play testing and going back to the drawing mm. board and doing a lot of stuff um and i am very very happy with the result and it should be it's uh very uh, it's been a very fun experience for me to uh dip my toe in the waters um and i'm sure jeremy uh has got a bit more involved than me. I think he went all the way up to his uh, neck in the in those self same yeah. waters. Um, Thank you for running a game. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I am that kind of person that like I like something. I'm going to jump all the way in the water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after we played, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta learn more about this game. I want to, like, I want to run this for other people. It's super cool. So I was doing that. Um, but that brings us to the end of this episode of dice talk <laughs> so james oh thank you very much for coming and joining us today um i'm you know i'm really glad i was able to get you on this episode and i'm really yeah. glad we got to talk about burn bright especially so soon after it's, it's come out but is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with just if they took one thing away from this episode what would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, that you can check out Burn Bright at burnbright.com. That's B-R-Y-T-E, uh, Burn Bright. Um, and I, I sincerely, if I want to leave them with, uh, with one thing, it is that you two are amazing hosts. Um, and thank you for playing this game and oh, for checking for sure. out another game. And I hope your viewers also want to check out other games. Um, I promise Burn Bright does not take as long to learn as something like D and D because it's not as super crunchy. No, definitely. So, not. Um, I knew I knew nothing about it, and within five minutes of you turning up in the call, I was i was playing the game and it was fine oh, good, so good. <laughs> <laughs> i knew, i knew what the game was but not how to play it at all and i was really panicking about it because i was like i'm gonna look really unprofessional <laughs> and no change no change there but um <laughs> it was fine i made you look um, professional so yes, because i, I was that. so unprofessional absolutely so that's the you carried carried the day <laughs> um but yeah if i was gonna leave you anybody with a message it's that we're not being paid for this we just really really like burn Brown. um it was it was really good and uh, uh the chance to uh, interview uh james and to sort of talk about it and uh promote it a little bit was uh too good to pass up so um yeah. we uh genuinely um like the game and uh we're you know over overjoyed that you agreed to come on the show so thank you very much for joining you're us. welcome I'm, I'm surprised to hear that jeremy isn't splitting the check i sent him with you but that's that's between you and him uh, <laughs> <What>? and so <laughs> you fucking want mine <laughs> all right awesome well thanks for coming on james thank you for having me i really appreciate it <laughs> As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussions were able to entertain and inspire you. 
Do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear us interview? Or perhaps a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the show? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to DiceTalkPod.com. There, you can stay up to date on all the latest Dice Talk news and streaming schedules. Also, be sure to go to MajesticGoose.com where you can check out all the awesome tabletop shows that we offer on the network. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to DiceTalkShow at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. They really help to get us to the top of the charts and they get our name out there. Leaving us a review lets us know how you feel about the show and it really is the best way that you can support us right now. Don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. I'll talk to you next time on Dice Talk. A Majestic Goose Podcast. Oh.